Man, Jesus is good, isn't he? All right, everybody stand up one more time. Come on, stand up. You're saying, we're up and down in these church services. So what? You're burning calories. Amen. Hey, this is a form of exercise. Remember, we call Jesus size. Hallelujah. Get your right hand up in the air, all right? Say this with me out loud. Keep your eyes open. Say, Jesus, thank you for helping me to never, never, never forget what you're going to say to me. I especially ask you, nail the person next to me. They look like they need it. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, clap your hands like you mean it. Come on. Hallelujah. God bless you. You can be seated. Please open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Oh, my goodness gracious. This is one of those fun days. I love this day. I love it because you get this soul ministry in. You know, it's important to get at least two Mediterraneans to balance. And Mike, are you German? Yeah, he 100%. It takes two Mediterraneans to balance out one German. Hallelujah. So you got the other side of the Adriatic. You know, we took Rob. It was easy to take Rob in. He's Italian. I'm Greek. I mean, we were meant to be together. Hallelujah. Actually, Greece and Italy were the same country until somebody's, we say, yeah, yeah, they say, no, no, left the kitchen sink on. You know, the grandma left the kitchen sink. I created the Adriatic and divided the countries. Amen. Um, One side knows how to properly use oregano, uh, basil, olive oil, and garlic. The other side, it's still learning. Anyway, so. uh, (laughs) There goes the anointing right there. Um, at the end of this, uh, I just want to know. I just want to tell you this. At the end of this, we are going to do something that's going to hurt. Everyone going to say it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt because we're going to give. We are believing God for the greatest, largest missions giving offering that this church has ever given. We are believing God for sixty thousand dollars to come in to help plant churches, to help widows, orphans, to help plant new churches in places that there are have never been. But beyond that, it's going to hurt even more than that. Because it's not just what God's going to do today in terms of what's going to be given and how then God's going to release blessing to you as you give. But it's also going to be related to the fact that we're going to make promises. In your bulletin, you're going to see something that's a faith promise sheet. I want you to see that. I had one handy dandy in my pocket. And you can always remember the guy who looks like he's a glass of milk was telling you that you have to do this. So if you look at this, there, it, it, you're going to see this in just a little bit where you're going to make a promise and a pledge to act by faith and live by faith for six months. Um, we're going to talk about what it means to live by faith here in just a little bit and what that's all about and how that's kind of connected. But we're going to talk about that. But um, this is kind of related to this message that God laid on my heart, which um, it's going to be kind of weird considering what we're going to talk about here. You know, the reality is that while we're sitting here and rejoicing in freedoms that we have that so many nations do not. Do you know, even if we went north right now to Canada, do you know I could not look at you and say homosexuality is a sin in the Bible? What I just said, what I literally just said, homosexuality is a sin according to what the Bible teaches, could not be stated in Canada without me being thrown in prison. In a church, they do not permit the preaching of the gospel regarding all of what the gospel may say. Now, we know the gospel doesn't say homosexuality is a sin and fornication is a sin and stop there. It says, but Jesus came to save sinners. But you know what? Do you realize that you can't even say that? If we're talking about Canada, that's our northern neighbor. That cannot be said because there isn't freedom of religion in Canada. They, you cannot, they dictate what is said even in churches. You ought to thank God right now. That's, I'll tell you what, my, one of my favorite holidays is Memorial Day because I thank God for the people who gave their lives and, and give us the freedoms that we possess in this country who did it for a cause that is greater than just politics. It's about freedom. Come somebody shout amen. 
That's why I love Sundays, because Sundays is a reminder of another memorial, and that is that we have an empty tomb because we have a cross that no longer has a Savior hanging on it. We have a bloodstained cross and an empty grave. We have freedom, men and women of God. We have freedom today. We have freedom in Christ. We have freedom in this nation, and we ought to thank God and use it to the fullest. You don't understand, but the spreading of the gospel and the planting of churches and all the rest is bringing the kind of freedom that people are longing for all over this world. What an awesome Sunday where you can poignantly say, wow, I was part of something. You know how many churches literally send people out? Not many. Very small percentage that send out people into the world like your church has sent people into the world to preach the gospel, to set people free, to lift up the downtrodden, to get people out of the miry clay. What a privilege it is to be part of that. So that you can be part of a group. Because you don't know. I'll tell you what. If you're scared about your life being totally committed and the songs we've been singing, is, uh, singing becoming a reality, if I were you, I would become a member of this church. Because if you become a member of this church, you sit in those seats long enough, eventually you're going to feel uncomfortable. You're going to feel uncomfortable. You're going to find yourself giving everything you got. You're going to find yourself uh, uh, one day in a country and you're like, I don't even understand the language. How did I get here? And then your wife's going to look at you, your husband's going to look at you and say, I told you we shouldn't have made that church our church. You know, because the bottom line is when you're in the presence of the living God, you cannot long stay there without him moving you. I want to talk to you kind of what this is all about. And um, in a sense, you might say, and I've never done this in my life, this message has a little subtitle. I actually never title my messages, so it doesn't have a title. So it's got a subtitle. But it's in a, the subtitle is a dedication. It's a dedication to your pastor and sister pastor uh, because of the nature of what I'm going to discuss. Um, would you read with me in Romans 8, starting with verse 14? Uh, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Do you hear what it said there? If you're led by the Spirit of God, you're a son or a daughter of God. If you're not being led by the Spirit of God, in other words, if you're being led by your own intelligence and the way you think things should be done, you're not a child of God. Did that sink in with anybody? In other words, if I'm going to be really a child of God, my life should manifest God's leading. And when God leads a life, he doesn't always lead it the way everybody thinks it should be led. I was in medical school. You ought to thank God I never became a doctor. Somebody shout amen. That was the leading of God protecting humanity and helping the insurance industry. Somebody shout amen. You know, the fact is, is that is that God leads you. When God spoke to me and told me to drop out of medical school, people who called themselves Christians said, that's nuts. You can make lots of money and do a lot for the kingdom of God. A million souls that have been saved later, 362 churches that have been planted, countless numbers of blind, lame, deaf, and all the rest healed, and all the other things we have uh, seen God do through our lives and ministries after all these years. Are you still thinking it would have been good if I had lots of money? You know, the bottom line is my life is an example of what happens when you surrender to Christ that, you know what, your end is better than the beginning. Because my beginning was not headed to something good. By the standards of this world, maybe, but not by the standards of God. I would not train any, uh, trade any sacrifice I've ever made for any of the riches of this world. What I have seen and what God has done is far greater than anything I could ever imagine. It goes on, it says this, For you have not received the spirit of slavery, leading again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. Everyone shout adoption. You uh, a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. 
And we cry. Everybody shout Abba. We're not shouting about a Swedish rock group. We're shouting Daddy God. Abba is a great word. It means Papa or Daddy. It says it's by the Spirit of God. We cried, Abba, Father. I can always tell when somebody's uh, not filled with the Holy Spirit or if they are filled, they, they don't pray in tongues on a daily basis. How do I know that? When they come to me or come at an altar and tell me they're struggling with understanding that God loves them. How could you ever struggle that God loves you? Because if God's filled you with his spirit, the spirit from inside of you cries out, Papa God. You know what the reality is? If you struggle with your identity in Christ, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Pray in other tongues and use that prayer language daily. Because you will hear a voice on the inside crying out, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. I tell you, I was never told I'd amount to anything in my life by my parents when I was growing up because we were an unsafe family. I mean, the way in Mediterranean families they let you know they care for you is by telling you how stupid you are. Why can't you be like that person? I mean, that's kind of the way we are. They beat us up. They do this. They fry us in olive oil. It's horrible. Can I tell you? Can I tell you something? They say all those things, but when I got saved, a voice raised up, raised up on the inside of me and said, you're God's kid. When I was filled with the Holy Spirit, every time somebody told me I could not, the Spirit of God rose up on the inside and said, yes, you can. Because greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. Somebody shout amen. It is by that voice crying out inside of us. And you know what? So many of us need to fellowship more with the Holy Spirit. It says this, the Holy Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, we are heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. Nobody likes the last part. Everybody's like, I want to be glorified with him. But in order to get glorification, there has to be a little uh, problems. <laughs> this is awesome. I had one of uh, the uh, one of uh, the ten year old daughter of one of the people we've discipled and is doing great ministry in this world. Um, the ten year old daughter, she's got a real anointing for preaching, and she sent me a little video of her preaching a sermon. And she said, "You got to have inspiration with perspiration." That was her message. And she says, "That's just for you, uh, Papa Dean." <laughs> she kind of calls me Grandpa. And so, Papa Dean, and I'm like. Yeah, you know, that's true, isn't it? Inspiration with perspiration. Well, guess what, guys? You know what? We can't have any kind of glorification unless first we have some issues that we have to be put through so God kind of whittles off the stuff that is us so that only what he is doing in our lives remains. You know what, guys? That's part of the process. God said he's given us a spirit of adoption, and that's what he's trying to do with the world. God wants to adopt more people. Now, it occurred to me, this whole issue of adoption, it occurred to me that in this issue of adoption, when the Bible says adoption, that you might not understand what it's talking about. Not because you're not intelligent, smart people. Obviously, you are. You're here at church today. The fact is, you don't maybe understand it, though, not because of what you're because of any brain power. You don't understand because when it was written in the day and it was written, uh, you need to understand what the rules of adoption were in that era. So you'd understand how powerful this statement actually is. You know, we think about adoption today because there are people that need to be adopted. There are children and, 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 and there are children in this world that have been dropped by the wayside who are not being cared for, who people have tried to completely divorce themselves through. I was talking to Pastor Mike having breakfast with him the other day, and in the course of our breakfast conversation, I was relating to him a story of one of the, the boys in one of our orphanages that we have in an Islamic country, how this boy was, a, was uh, uh, his, his mother still lives. I don't know about his father. I don't know where the father is, if he's still alive or not. But the mother still lives. You say, in what way is that an orphan? Well, the mother got into a sexual relationship with a man who said, okay, I'm married, 
you're going to be my mistress. I'm going to put you up in an apartment, and I'll take care of you, and I'll come by so we could have sex, but I don't want that kid of yours around. And so she literally dropped her kid off and said, I don't want him anymore. The child that came from her own womb, I don't want him anymore. I don't want him anymore because I'm going to hang out with this guy who just wants to have sex with me. And how long do you think that's going to last before he dumps her? And yet he, she dumped the child that came from her simply so that she could enjoy an apartment and jewelry that this man gives her and have a meal that he wants to provide for her for as long as he gets his jollies off of her. Now, I don't care where you're coming from. That ain't right. And you know what? That well describes each and every one of us. Each and every one of us because of our sins, because the world and the sins that are therein say that they want to use us. Sin wants to reign in your body. Sin wants to, you, to eat you up alive. You want to have, you know, the devil convinces you and cons you as these little demons speak in your head and tell you, hey, you know, it's okay. You could do these things and enjoy these things for a little bit of time. And all of a sudden, when you're all used up and all dried up and nobody can get their jollies out of you anymore, you're thrown by the wayside. That is the testimony of many people that are in this room right now that are born again and filled with God's spirit. You remember how you felt alone apart from God and everybody had given up on you. But then all of a sudden, somebody walked by and said, you're not alone anymore. I got a new family for you. I want to care for you. I want to love you. I want to make you part of my family. You are adopted into a new place. Does anybody in this room remember when that day happened? If you do, lift your hands and shout hallelujah. We serve a God that takes care of those that are lost and tossed by the wayside. But adoption is different. And if you don't mind, for a few minutes, I would like to explain to you what adoption was like in Roman days. Can I? Oh, come on, encourage me and maybe I will. Okay, if you insist, I will then. You have to remember in Roman days, it must be remembered that the father, everyone say the father had absolute control over his family. He possessed the same rights over his children as he did over his slaves. By this, as it is known in Latin, patria potestas, the son was deprived of the right to own property. Nothing he had belonged to him. And the father could inflict any punishment he thought fit, even to the extent of the death penalty. And you know what? You need to wise up and understand the same is true today. That God has control over everything. Everything is his. None of your property is yours. And God has the ultimate say as to what will happen in your life. Whether you live or die is up to God and nobody else. Whether you survive, whether you have blessings or not, is up to him and nobody else. Just as in that day they understood adoption, these words were written to you. Under the anointing and guiding of the Holy Spirit, that there is a father who has ultimate say over your life and death over every part of you, who can either sell you into slavery and bondage or loose you and set you free and give you a life of joy and prosperity. That God and that Father still exists. And he is here today. And he is watchful and looking over all the earth. You must also remember that the adopted son in these days, when they became a member of the family, they became a member of the family just as if they had been born of the same blood of the adopter. And they had all the invested privileges of the family they were adopted into. When a child was adopted in Roman days and according to this text so that God would help you understand how much he loves and cares for everybody on this earth. God was saying, when you become one of my kids through the adoption process of salvation, you are one blood with me. You are one with me. And you have all the privileges that I have given my own dear son Jesus are the privileges I have given to you as well. 
In fact, when you read Romans, that's why it says, and I love how the Living Bible puts that last part in verse uh, uh, 16, 17. It says it this way, for his Holy Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we're God's kids. And since we are his kids, we will share his treasures. For everything God gives his son Jesus belongs to us as well. Oh, can somebody get excited in this room? Everything, everything. God has made this promise to you. He has given you it all. You have exactly, and you know what? You're of the same blood. That's why we say Jesus is my brother. He's my Lord, my master, my savior. But one of the hymns says in one of its great lines, he is our brother. We have the same blood. We're royal blood. I joke with people when I've witnessed to them. I said, I said once when I was giving blood, I said, listen, watch that blood. That's royal blood. I come from a royal family. It led to great witnessing, by the way. Amen. I was thankful they weren't vampires. Hear this. <laughs> Listen, you want to know how radical adoption was in Roman days? Adoption in the law was called capitis diminutio. Part of it in the law was called that. And the reason they called it that and what it signifies and means is that when you were adopted in these Roman days, it's so annihilated your pre-existing personality previous to being adopted, that whoever underwent the adoption process, that for many years, it actually, the adoption process, uh, that for during many centuries, it was, I guess, over uh, several centuries, it operated as a complete extinction of all debts. In other words, those precious children that our pastor and sister pastor adopted, you know, wonderful Chinese boys, I think personally June had them, and the statistic that I read in a missions magazine is true, that one of every four children born today is Chinese. But anyway, that's another thing. Hear this. The reality is, is that when they were adopted, if they came with any debt, that as far as in the Roman days it was concerned, that it eliminated all the debts completely. So that debtors could not come and look at those two children and say, excuse me, but you have a debt and it's been earning interest over all these years. You owe us $500,000. And they could look and say, I'm sorry, but those people no longer exist. We have a new name. We have new blood. We're part of a new family. There is no way you can demand anything from us because those people are dead and gone. New people are in existence right now. The great joy I have all over the world is looking at people. I can't tell you. I was preaching here in a, in a, a Buddhist country. And you know what they long for? Buddhists long for. They long for assurance of salvation. They long to know that their debt is paid. I, it is my joy of looking at people in nations like that and looking at them and telling them, I have assurance because the debt that I owed was paid. I belong to a new family. No one can point a finger at me and say, you owe anything anymore. Jesus has washed it all away. Jesus has paid the debt for me. Can somebody in this room get excited? I'll tell you, this makes me want to get born again again, just saying this. I'll tell you what, this gets you fired up, man. I mean, can you imagine? It just makes me want to get saved just on the basis of this. Get my debts forgiven. Oh, yeah, yo. Somebody, boom, shaka, laka, laka. That wasn't tongues. It doesn't need to be interpreted. Amen. Hear this. But there are four things I want you all to remember. Everybody say four. Yeah, that's four fingers. Amen. I'm sorry, I realize there are three kinds of people in this world a long time ago. Those who know an accountant, those who don't. Anyway, so, 
that was, that was a joke. Just explain it to the person next to you. Okay, amen. Um, four things. Can I share four quick things about what adoption meant? Four? Come on, encourage me. Come on, do it. Forget you're in church. Encourage me. Okay. Four things. Number one. Did somebody snort? Somebody snorted. Um, four things. Four things. You know, you have to be careful saying you can't say snort from a pulpit in Denver anymore because they're like, snort? Is that legal too? Um, please forgive me. Pray for Colorado. We need prayers. Now we're having forest fires this year, and now entire communities are getting high. It's so sad. Um, uh Hey, but I will say the restaurant business is really booming because everybody's got the munchies. Um, I don't know why, but 7-Elevens are really doing well at midnight. Amen. That's for all of us who remember those days. Amen. Um, four basic things that I want you to remember. The first thing you got when you were adopted, you had a change of family. How many of you just want to get born again to get adopted out of the family you now have? Listen, you know what it's like. You have that family, those family members. You're like, do we have to invite them over? Really? You know how it is. Sometimes you're like, hey, you wake up, you're looking around at a party going, how did I end up in this family? Come on, you guys know what I'm talking about. But I got to change a family. I'm no longer part of that family of rogues and thieves. When I was getting in trouble, you know, my dad's island in Greece was to Greece. My dad is from the island of Kefalonia. Kefalonia was to Greece what Australia was to England. It was a penal colony. And, you know, I want to tell you something. That is a bummer, uh, except unless you get into trouble. Because whenever, you know, the cops were calling or things were going on, I would tell my dad, who my dad would look at me and go, what's wrong with you? You know, my dad had a thick accent. And I'd look at him and say, I'd say, Dad, I'm just fulfilling my genetics. This is what our people have done for centuries. <laughs> I would tell him that. And uh, he would look at me and go, you're right, you're right. <laughs> just don't get caught next time. That's what he would say, just don't get caught. You know, listen to me. I want to tell you something. I got to change a family. I'm no longer part of a family of thieves and rogues. I'm part of a family that is not people that are trying to mess people up. I'm part of a family now, a family where not everything is perfect, but it's all under control. I'm part of a family where, where people don't curse each other. They lift each other up. I'm part of a family not filled with thieves and rogues, but filled with saints of the Most High God. I'm not filled with people that are getting worse. I'm part of a family where people are getting better. Can somebody shout amen? The church may not be everything it's supposed to be. But I'll tell you what, in this place, in this house of God, the church is a place where people are going from glory to glory, where line upon line and precept upon precept, people's lives are slowly getting better. Can somebody shout amen? It's not about a perfect family. It's about a family united on one purpose, heading to a better spot. I'm part of a family like that. No longer a family. You know what? I'm so thankful, and that's what we're calling people to around the world, be part of a different family. Because so many of these families, so many of the people of this world are part of a family that's really messed up. A family that's doing nothing but hurting them, not helping them. Families that beat them up and do disgusting things. I shared with the people over at the, uh, uh, who are working with the children right now, I shared with them and talked to them uh, about uh, a testimony about a young lady who who is testifying for Christ and has seen her family come to Christ. But she got saved first out of a Muslim family, 16 years old, being beaten daily. Food was kept from her. She lived being beaten for eight months. We offered to take her out of her home and put her in a place to keep her safe. But she refused as a 16-year-old child. She refused. 
She said, who will witness to my family? They don't know Christ. We live in a Muslim area. I need to be there so that they'll see the love of Jesus. Every time her father beat her, she told her that she loved him and that Jesus loved him. I had the great privilege of eight months after meeting her and feeling I wasn't worthy to be called a Christian like her. I had the great privilege of being there and welcoming her mother and her sister into the family of God as they got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit at a crusade. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. That's part of a new family. But you know, it's not just a new family. It's also a change of name. Everyone say, change of name. You know what? When you got a name like Niforatos, <laughs> trust me. You know, Carol used to beg me, can we just shorten it a little bit? You know, that's a long name. But you know what? I got a new name. See, whereas people could look at me and say, oh, he was just a sinner. Now I look at him and say, that's not my name anymore. My name is Saint. See, you look at me and say, well, you're just nothing but a nobody. But you know what? I look at him and say, no, I'm not a nobody anymore. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and never below. You know what? I am not under a curse anymore. You just call me blessed. I used to be unrighteous, but now I'm righteous because God has declared it over me. I got myself a new name. Somebody shout amen. You can't call me the same thing. A young lady, I, I was just preaching in the Chicagoland area just a couple miles from the high school I went to high school at. And I was doing a series of five meetings. And a young lady was there on Sunday night. She rededicated her life to Jesus Christ. She got filled with the Holy Spirit. She was really super happy. A teenager, 16 years old. And you know, teenagers give testimonies unlike adults that are older give testimonies. They say things without thinking about what they're saying. And she gave a testimony Monday night, which I will never forget. She stood up in front of everybody. She goes, I'm just so excited. And she said some funny stuff about being filled with the Holy Spirit and rededicating her life. And she says, and I want everybody to know I go to the high school he used to go to. I go to his very high school. So this is the funny part of the testimony. She says, I went and asked around to see if there were any teachers that were still alive when he was in school. Thank you so much. (laughs) It was so funny. I was laughing so hard. You know, I'm like, I walked up to the stage that day. Well, I'm barely making it. Hear this, right? So she said, I found one teacher. She says, I walked up. She's retiring this year. I walked up to her. She was talking. Now, everybody look at my face, all right? She, she, she did this. She tell, had us all look at her face. She says, she was joking with students in the cafeteria. I went up to her, and she was smiling and laughing. I tapped her on the shoulder. I said, hi, Miss Such and Such. She said, um, do you remember a guy named Dean Niforatos? And she said, the teacher looked at me and said, yes. <laughs> she said, what do you think he's doing today? She goes, if he's not dead, he's probably just getting out of prison. <laughs> Great faith they have in you. She said, what have I told you? He's a man of God preaching the gospel around the world. She said, I'd have to see it to believe it. Listen, I want to tell you because she remembers me by a different name. But my Bible said, God called me by name. I'm his. He knew me before the foundation of the world. He's got a new name written down for me in glory. Somebody shout amen. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, he's got a name. He wrote it on a stone. It's a name that's private between him and me. And he's got that name written. And that name's got nothing to do with previous past stuff. Thanks. Oh, yeah, come on. Bring it up. Oh, look at that. That I mean, come on. He's bringing me water here. I thought he was just going to throw it. He's like, hey, throw it. No. It's okay. Yeah. Thank you. See, the Bible says give a glass of water to a prophet and you get a prophet's reward. He gets a reward. Come on, somebody. Amen. Listen to this. Okay. Don't you see? I got a new name. 
My name isn't Dini Faratos anymore. I'm not sure what name God has given me. I hope it's something short. But the bottom line is, I got a new name. And my name has got to do with his glory, not mine. I'm part of a new family. I got a new name, and my debts have been paid. I've been adopted. Spirit of adoption is in me. You know what? You don't just get that. This is really cool. But also, according to those days, is anybody learning anything? I also get a change of home. I don't know about you. As nice as Florida is, maybe not in a month or two <laughs> with the heat. It's nothing compared to what's going on up there. Jesus has been working on a place for you and for me for quite some time. The Bible says it's a place. You know what? I, I can't wait for it to show you my new house. <laughs> it's going up. I mean, my new place. Hey, you know, you don't have to worry about the neighborhood. No problems. We don't have security systems because, you know, angels are patrolling everything. But the problem is you don't even need the angels patrolling everything because nobody's bad anymore. There's no curse. There's no shame. There's no pain. There's no guilt. You don't have to worry about disease spreading and all the things we're always talking about. You know, we don't even have to worry about going to Pilates or yoga. I mean, come on. We're going to have glorified bodies. We can eat all the chocolate chip cookies we want. I want to go to heaven just for that. Then it won't be gluttony anymore. It'll just be the anointing. Hallelujah. Uh-huh. My, my chocolate chip macadamia nut cookies are going to have huge honking bits of chocolate macadamia nuts. I'm telling you. Listen, I want to tell you, I want you to see my home. There are streets of gold. Hey, you know what? I don't even have to worry about the electric bill. Because you know what? The Son of God is the light that's in the place. The sun, the light, and the, 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 the light of the sun and the moon is not necessary. Because the glory of God lights the joint up. It's incredible. I don't have to worry about anything. It's all taken care of. No HOA fees, no nothing. It's incredible. Especially with no crime and nobody hurting each other. Neighbors that all get along. I mean, come on. It's an awesome place. I got a new home. And the thing that makes my new home so great is Jesus is there. That's the one that makes it all worth it. Because you know what? The melody of heaven is the singing of the name of Jesus. And you know what? I can't wait to get to that home. That's my joy, and that's the joy that we have to talk about something that maybe we take for granted. But you know what? When I share about a new home for people who have known nothing but agony and terror all their lives, when you've gone on missions trips, and some of you, the joy that hits these people, the reason why they get saved so fast, it's because you've heard what I'm talking about in various forms over and over and over again. You just forgot it. But the people of the world have never heard it once. And when they hear it, then the Spirit of God hits their hearts and says, it's the truth. They open their hearts wide and run to Jesus with everything inside of them. They do it because they realize it's truth, and they, they hear about a place that's too good to be true, and they realize it's true. Oh, I'll tell you what, when you get adopted, you get a completely new home. You, I got a new name. I got a new family. I got a new home. But can I give you the last thing that comes with it, can I? In, when you're adopted, according to Roman days, you got adopted in the family. You also had all sorts of new privileges, but they came with responsibilities. You don't understand. We've been adopted. So we have great privileges. See, I don't just get the blessings of getting healed. I have the privilege of getting others healed. I don't just have the privilege of being filled with God's Holy Spirit. I get the privilege of actually getting others filled. I get to heal the sick and raise the dead 
and cleanse lepers, lepers, L-E-P-E-R, not leopards. I've said this before here. If you cleanse a leopard, you end up with a puma, <laughs> right? Listen, right? In the name of Jesus, I saw that animal planet. Hear this, right? Um, I get to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, and cast out demons. I don't just get to have that done to me. I get to do it to somebody else. Those are the privileges I have. I have the privilege of sharing with others the good news of Jesus Christ. I have the wonderful privilege of having every one of my needs met according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I have the privilege of knowing that the cattle on a thousand hills belong to him. And because I'm part of the family, I have an inheritance that I get to share in right now. And I get to use it while I'm living on this earth to accomplish his ends. I have that as a wonderful privilege. But when you're part of a new family, you have new responsibilities. That's where we fail. We have not been living, brothers and sisters, according to our responsibilities. My joy is telling people, you can have a new home. Your debts can be paid. You can have a new name. You can have a new family. But also, you have these wonderful privileges that God fills you with the Spirit and calls you to proclaim the gospel. But you also have awesome, incredible responsibilities that you need to meet. And the sad truth is that so many people in this room have been living below their privilege because they haven't been doing their responsibility. My response, see, you could come and visit my home. We're now moving to a very small place, so it'll be only a few of you at a time. (laughs) I mean, the truth is, is that you're all welcome. But when you're in my house, you've got to obey my rules. We do our discipleship in our house. You know, we've had people in the various places we've lived, usually cramming 50 people in. (laughs) This time we're living in a place we really seriously cannot cram 50 people in. But the fact is, is that we've had people 50 at a time, and we tell them, our house, our rules. So if you come to my house, you have to obey my rules. Now, if I'm at your house, you can do whatever you want to, and I'm going to do what your rules are in your house. But you come to my house, my rules. So if you come to my house and you're sleeping over, I don't want to see you walking around my, my uh, you know, to get coffee for yourself in my kitchen wearing your thong underwear. I'm talking to you, Pastor Mike. I am saying, listen, <laughs> I don't want to see SpongeBob, <laughs> all right, on anybody's. I cannot believe I actually said that. And that's a bad visual picture right there, isn't it? But anyway, so I'm not sure how good this is because June is agreeing with me. And that's really bad. But hear this. Um, <laughs> um, There are sometimes I'm in the middle of preaching and I'm thinking I should not have gone there. But anyway, so, you know, you gotta, you gotta dress the way it's appropriate (laughs) in my house. You gotta do my rules. I said to my guys when they were young, because all of us who have raised children know that at some point in our children's lives, we all think of adoption. And we're grateful nobody took our kids, so we raise them anyway. You know that's true. You know that. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Listen, you know, you know, we raise our kids and our kids rebel against us and they say, hey, I don't want to do this. And you say, this is our house. This is my house. This is my home. You will obey the rules of this house. When you have your own house, do as you want. Then they get older, they get married, you go to their house and they have the same rules you did. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Because <laughs> they realize how smart you actually are. <laughs> Listen to me, everybody in this place. 
This is God's house, God's rules. That's why every church that has ever said, when you come in here, do whatever you want because God loves you, is wrong. Jewish worship in any way you feel like. I don't think so. You worship him as he declares in his house. We, we operate according to what the rules of his house are. Not your house. There are certain things you might do in your house that will never be done in the house of God. I want you to hear this. By the way, by the day comes that you realize that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, it'll change the way you live in your house too. Listen to me. You have responsibilities. What are your responsibilities? Your responsibilities, my dear friends, are to surrender and sacrifice everything to him. Because remember, when a child's adopted in, they lose their debts, but they also lose their ownership of their property. They have use of everything that is God's, everything. But it isn't theirs anymore. It's to be used only for their father's work. Listen to me, everyone who's in this room. What you have is to be used for God. I want all of you to look in your bulletin and take out this faith promise. Take it. Take it out. I want all of you to follow this with me, if you please would. Please write your name. Just write, look. I'm not going to ask you what to fill in over there, but I'm going to ask you all to do something. I want you to write your name, your address, city, state, zip. Do not put anything in. And don't sign it. Just write out that information. If you don't want to give it in later, that's fine. But I want you to do it now. Okay? Do that. As you're doing that, I want you to listen to what I'm saying. In God's house, you've been adopted. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been adopted in a new family. You're not supposed to operate according to your own family rules anymore. You don't operate according to what America tells you you're supposed to operate. You don't live according to the value system of America. You live according to the value system of the kingdom of God. My wife and I are not downsizing because, oh, we're getting older. Our children are out of the house. We're downsizing because we wanted, frankly, to give everything we have away. I mean, if you want to know the truth, and I didn't want to share this, and I had a big argument with God. And you know what's funny? If you argue with me or you fight me, you know, you have a 50-50 chance of, of beating me. If you fight against the devil, greater is he that is in you than he is in the world, you're going to beat him up. But if you fight God on anything, there's only one end to that. You lose. I lost this morning, so I want to share something I didn't want to share. My wife and I, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to us and said, a new phase is happening in your life. I was sharing a little bit of this with Mike. A new phase is happening in your life. You know, everybody's going through phases. And in the process of this, I want you to go from having things to getting rid of it all again. Now, that has happened. Honestly, that's happened a couple times in our lives. We realize there's a shift coming. We don't know what it is. I don't care if I know what it is. We're selling our house. You know, it's sold. You know, their closing is the day after Father's Day. You know, somebody bought it. We're not buying a new house. We're living in a very small apartment until we grow up and decide whatever God wants us to do, we'll do. So we're doing all that stuff. So we have, you know, uh, uh, we've lived in this home for what, it's the first home and only home we've ever lived in. You know, we finally had a yard, <laughs> you know, um, and all the rest of the stuff. We finally added the stuff. And the Spirit of the Lord said, get rid of it. It was a joy. Kira looked at me. She goes, oh, I'm so excited. And then God said, all the things that you have in your house, give it all away. Not sell it. Give it away. That's exactly what we've done. So it's funny because we're moving into a place, which is kind of a misnomer because it's not really considered moving unless, if you're, I guess, you're only moving yourself. Because <laughs> nothing's coming with us. 
my, I was sharing this. My boys, my son Luke, who's 23, my son Alex, who's 19, I'm working hard on the bride price because we want that girl to be our daughter-in-law. <laughs> She's only 16. If we were in Arkansas, this would not be an issue. Hear this. Um, he's incredibly gorgeous. And my son, Luke, who's 23, uh, called me here a few weeks ago. He's 23. He's gorgeous. He's single. He's got a phenomenal job. Uh, he's not dating anybody. Uh, we are taking applications. Please send pictures. Um, my 23-year-old looked at me and said, Dad, Mom, I feel like the Lord told me that all the money I've saved up, I'm supposed to give it to missions. So I just gave it to missions. You know what? That to me meant everything in the world to me. It meant everything in the world that the things of this world are not going to have a hold of my boys. But God is going to have a hold of them. It's because they're living according to the privilege that God has given them, but they understand it requires responsibility. And that responsibility means that at any given time, God has the right. Listen to me. When your pastor stands up and says, give up your tithes and offerings, tithing and the offerings that you give are designed by God to make you ready so that at any given time when God wants to unleash max blessings into your life, he can do so by getting you to surrender everything that isn't yours anyway. He preps you. The discipline of giving regularly gets you ready so that when God whispers in your ear and says, I want you to give away everything you have, you can do it without batting an eye. It's no different than what I say to people all the time. If you will pray an hour every day, if somebody says we're having an all-night prayer meeting, it would be easy for you to be part of. But if you barely pray five minutes every day, the idea of even praying an hour seems like eternity to you. But if you have a discipline in your life of regular prayer, it becomes easy for God to deal with you and spend a night in prayer and seeking him. I love it when my boys call me and say, Dad, God's spoken to me, and I'm just seeking and going after God tonight. I'm fasting and praying. Hey, could you fast and pray with me and be in agreement with me? That's understanding your responsibility so that you could live according to your privilege. Your sons and daughters adopted into the family of God. Why would you ever stoop to want to be the president or the king or queen of any nation when God has called you to be a child of God? It's below you to be anything in this world. Missionaries, I think, are the highest. Listen to me. Everyone in this room, I hope you filled out your name. If you don't have a pen, borrow the person next to you or I'll bite your fingertip and do it in blood. It's kind of freaky, but it, it turns out. Hear this. In the next little bit, God is going to speak to you. I shared at the missions banquet last night. That God, in fact, you saw me on my little thing. I said, I've given you a couple of weeks, and, the, you know, they, they had the advertisement of a video that my son Alex took on my iPad, you know. And, uh, and we did a little video preparing you for this day, that you'd be ready, maybe dissolve your stock holdings and all the rest of this stuff. I wasn't joking. I'm saying it in a funny way, but I wasn't joking. That you would surrender everything to God. There are needs. We are finishing a widow's home in Malawi, Africa right now. Those widows are so excited that they have a home to put. The 20 widows and their children, they're not just going to have a home. They're going to be trained with tangible trades. And then there's going to be more widows. They're going to be there for a while. Then they're going to have their own trades. All their own businesses will move them on and get more widows. And they're the widows of people, a man of God who died in the preaching of the gospel, either through martyrdom or sickness or the various things that happen in Africa. There are churches going up. I've been asked to go to one of the Soviet republics very much in the news where church planting is happening because God is moving supernaturally in the midst of horrible things that are going on. We're going to plant a church. There are people who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ in an Islamic country that need a church in their area. 
There are pastors and leaders that need training in certain regions where it's impossible to get into, and yet God has given us favor, and we can get in there. There's works of God that are going. You're sending others into ministry right now who are called of God to go to Africa and other places of the world in this couple and this family. And you know what the truth is? It's, something's got to happen to take care of young couples like this as well so that not just the husband goes, oh, we like to get Chris out there too. Somebody's got to take care of the kids. Aren't those noble things? Are they noble things, yes or no? Listen to me. Here's the dilemma. Your responsibility. You have a responsibility. God says, I've given you everything you have. Now take what I've given you, and I'm asking for it in return. God is asking, would you live according to the, to the responsibilities that you said and took on? Would you? Would you live as a child of God and not live as a child of America? Not a child of this earth, but a child from heaven. You know what? Over the next six months, everyone say six months. Over the next six months, this is God's challenge to you. I came with a word from the Lord, and what I've preached to you is from God. God is calling a number of you, and I truly believe in a year's time, should I be back here if I'm alive, in a year's time, should I come back to this church, there will be new people where you're sitting, and you're going to be somewhere else because God has called you and sent you out just like he sent them. This may be your home church still, but you'll have gone to other places. There are couples here and young couples that God has placed his hand on your life and called you to do ministry in other parts of the world. And the calling that is on your life, God will provide for you. He'll take care of you. But it's times like this that God challenges you to surrender what you have. Because one day, you're going to be asking others to live according to their privilege and responsibility. And in their responsibility, help supply the need that you have to do ministry. And you know what? Your giving now will set the tone for what's going to come for you later. I honestly believe the reason why we have full support in all the things that we've done in all the years of our ministry is because Carol and I, all the years when God spoke to us, did not hesitate but gave everything we had. We sowed for our future. You know, some people make it all about, well, sow and God will bless you so you could have all the cars and all the uh, stuff. You know what? Do I believe God will prosper you on this earth? Of course I do. I'd be an idiot not to. There are people in the Bible who are blessed of God who had lots of goods. But the fact is still the fact that God blesses you to have those things so they can be given away to extend the kingdom of God further. And I know that when I stand up and ask for offerings that people give, not because I'm so eloquent, but I know that God speaks to them and says, this guy's doing it because he knows, God knows, and those who know me well know, and know my wife well know, and know the way we live know, that we have never asked for something we've never done ourselves. Ever. Listen to me, everyone in this room. Will you live according to your privilege and responsibility? You have great privileges to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, and win nations. God has given you that. His, the privileges to declare the gospel. But in order to have the privileges, remember you have to die in order to share the glory. There's persecution and trial and all the rest. God says, will you not then with me, God says, will you not now live according to what your responsibility is? The responsibility of God's children as adopted members of his family is that they live according to his giving principles and that they give what isn't even theirs. It's just their inheritance. That they release that so the inheritance grows for them so that more of God's kingdom will grow. Will you do that today? Will you? This is what I'm challenging you. And I'm going to have you bow your eyes and close your eyes in just a second. 
But what I'm challenging you is this. What we are believing God is that God would cause you to give so that this morning we raise $60,000 for planting churches, taking care of widows, and doing other things in this world. That we will extend the kingdom of God. That you will help the people that need to be adopted into a new family. And that, listen, this is where this faith promise comes in. The, the, we're going to take an offering for the finances to come in today for a one-time offering. But that you're going to live by faith for six months in your life. For how long in your life? That for six months you're going to say this. This is what the faith promise is. Jesus, no matter what comes in to my house, I'm going to give you. And maybe the Lord speaks to you and says $500 a month. You put $500 that God no matter what comes in, the first $500 is going to go to you, and then for a month, I'm going to live on whatever else comes in, trusting that you will multiply that so my, me and my family can live. That's what a faith promise is. A faith promise says the first of everything that comes in is going to go for missions, and God, the rest is what we'll live on. Now, I'm not talking about your tithe. Your tithe goes to the house of God. I'm talking about beyond your tithe. Say, God, when this comes in, in other words, it's like this. And I talked to somebody last night who says, I don't have a job, but I surely want to give. And I said, this is what you do. Say, God, if people walk up to me and bless me with things, I'm going to turn that around and give X percentage of whatever comes in always. Like, in other words, if somebody comes up and gives me a $100 bill, the very first thing, if I say, God, 20% of whatever comes in that people spontaneously give me, I'm going to give to you and for missions. That means if somebody comes up to me and gives me $100, I'm going to break it, take 20, and make sure it gets right to the church for missions. And God, I'm going to trust that that $80 is going to take care of my, the rest of my needs. That's what faith is. What would happen if 100% of the people in one church decided to live according to the privilege of what God was asking them? If they fulfilled their responsibilities and did what God said. In other words, your father who's adopted you in just a moment is going to speak to each and every one of you and say, this is what I have tasked you in your responsibility. I'm not going to tell you what that is. God is your father who has adopted you. Your father who's adopted you and says, you're mine as much as if you were born of my own blood. You're my precious treasure. I want you to respond to what I'm telling you I want you to do. This is what your responsibility is, son. This is what your responsibility is, daughter. Please do this. There's two things we're asking God to deal with you on. What you would give in a physical offering right now. I want to just repeat one last thing and then we're going to pray. Are you ready? Are you ready? One last thing from our missions banquet last night. I read a story by uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. And it relates a story about a man who had been very generous in the things of God. And God prospered him because you cannot outgive God. If you give, God blesses you in return. You can't help that principle. It works. No matter what country, it works. This guy in the story that Harriet uh, shared, this guy in the story, in his blessings, he used those blessings to purchase bigger things, bigger house, more things, living in a better class of society, and henceforth his bills grew exponentially. So he felt bad that he could not give like he used to give to the things and the works of God. And then in a dream that he had, he saw himself in his own like room by the fireplace, and a man came in who was very humble, and the man was Jesus in disguise at first. And the man said, hey, can you give to this cause for the preaching of the gospel overseas? And he said, no, I have too many things I'm giving to right now. I can't give another dime. And 
He felt bad about saying it and hoped that the man would then leave. But the man persisted and said, okay, maybe you're thinking it's overseas and you won't see the giving. So can you help with some street ministry that's going on with a street church that's reaching the kids on the streets here, just, just on the other side of town? And he said, no, I told you I can't do anything. I can't give anymore. I can't. I'm giving enough. Too much. I have a lot of bills. And then finally the person said to him, kept persisting, saying, well, then maybe you could give to the Bible Society so we could give Bibles out. That's easy. And he said, I told you I can't give anything. And then the man revealed himself to be Jesus. Harriet Beecher still wrote this. He revealed himself to be Jesus. And he reminded the man, he says, do you remember 10 years ago when you cried out to me for that daughter of yours that's the apple of your eye that you love so much, your child? And she was sick and you thought you were going to die and you asked me to heal her. Who answered that prayer? And he said, do you remember five years before that? Do you remember how you were going bankrupt and you didn't have anything? Do you remember you cried out to me? And other people who had more money than you and better houses than you, they ended up failing financially. Do you remember that? But you didn't and you came through because I sent you people to help you and tide you over. Who did that? Who answered that prayer? And then he pointed out one last thing. He goes, do you remember when you were lost in sin and thought you were going to die and go straight to hell? And you cried out for mercy. You couldn't sleep because you knew what you deserved. And you asked for mercy. Who gave you mercy and who forgave you? Who answered that prayer? And this is what Jesus said. And I want to say this to everybody before you bow your heads and close your eyes to pray. As to what God would have you do. Jesus said, let's make this deal. If you will not ask me for anything anymore, I won't demand anything of you. So why don't we make a deal? You've been coming to church. If you agree never to ask God for another thing, then he won't make any demands of you. But I don't think any of us are going to do that. Because you can't survive a minute without his help. So if that's true, he's telling you your responsibility as part of the family of the one who's been taking care of you is to now respond to what your father is asking you to do. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? With your heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, in the name of Jesus, speak to each and every person that's in this room. Speak. Your father is going to impress you with something that's probably going to scare you. To give. As Harriet wrote so many years ago, I'm going to say this to everybody as you consider what God's asking you to do. Those of you, Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote this. I read this last night to everybody. Harriet wrote in the story, and I think these were her own words. She said this, give those of you that are rich because you are rich and because you can. And give those of you that are poor because you cannot afford to get any poorer. Release to God so God can prosper and release to you. In the name of Jesus, you ask him, Lord, as scary as it is, what would you have me give and write out a check to? Maybe it's going to be a whole $60,000 if you're able to do it. Maybe it's going to be $10,000. Maybe that $10,000, which is a lot to a lot of people, is represented by the $10 God is asking you to give because there's nothing left in the bank for you. It's not about the amount. 
It's about what God is asking you to do and you obeying what your Father in Heaven has asked you to do. And then what will you live without for six months on a monthly basis? To give monthly, to give weekly, to give daily, whatever. You can choose on that form. But say, God, how much less can I live on for myself as a privileged child of God so that your kingdom can live on more? $100 a month, $200 a month, $500 a month, $50 a month, $10 a month, $1,000 a month. Ask God. The Spirit of the Lord has brought us to this place here on this beautiful day so your Father can produce blessings inside of you. But this is one of the days when your Father is telling you, here's the rules of the house for the next six months. Everybody say this with me. Say, thanks, Dad, for speaking to me. I got your back. I'll do what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you have this form in front of you. Now, just do as your father said and write out, hey, this is how much. This is how much. And then what you're going to do is, when you write that out, you can see on this wonderful little form here, this is the faith promise. You can could, you could see that you could tear it. Okay, so everybody just do that. I'm really horrible at tearing things, but <laughs> that's a miracle. Look at that. Um, so you tear it. Usually I tear it. It kind of tears all along other lines. And what you do is one part is for you. The other part is saying to the family of God, this is what God spoke to me, and you can count on me for this. And you just drop that in the offering basket that goes by. But put that in with whatever your offering may be that God told you to give. So if you're writing out checks, remember you're making them out to the church here. And it's going to go for the preaching and the sharing of the gospel in the name of Jesus. And you know what? From what the Holy Spirit told me, he said, Dean, you'll have open hearts and my people will respond. And this will be a day that we'll all rejoice in and remember that God did something greater than anything we ever thought could happen in the name of Jesus. So I'm going to ask ushers, usherettes uh, uh, to prepare with those wonderful buckets. Please don't make sure you don't kick them. We don't want anybody kicking the bucket this morning in Jesus name. Uh, Get those ready. Write your checks. Guys, wait for just about 30 more seconds, and then you can serve God's people in the name of Jesus.